Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm so excited to be joined by two um, extraordinary gentlemen that you all know and love, Mr. Kirk Franklin and Dr. Charlie Dates. Welcome. Man. <laughs> 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 Thank you all for joining us to talk about such an easy topic of suffering uh, that um, it just can be solved in one sentence. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, for those who may not know you, who may be living under a rock, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Kirk Franklin. Yeah, my name is Kirk Franklin and I sell beepers and lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and chicken wings on the side. <laughs> Uh, I have several locations all over the country. <laughs> I give you my mama's phone number to uh, set up an appointment. Uh, you know, I, 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 I am a servant of God's kingdom and I communicate uh, um, his ministry and his heart mainly through music. And I have done so uh, with, uh, with a great honor for the last uh, 30 years. And I um, am also um, one to, when, whenever the opportunity permits itself to try to curate also Christian content, whether it's um, TV shows like BET, Sunday Best, or just other areas of content that will continue to try to have a vertical, uh, either inspirational or aspirational uh, narrative to it. And uh, I am a, I am a baby in the, uh, uh, newly found passion of urban apologetics. I I, I started to uh, study apologetics about ten or twelve years ago. I used to um, I used to pay a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary to meet me at Starbucks twice a month, and I uh, just teach me apologetics. And uh, I don't have a formal education, so I was not able to audit this class. Um, uh, and 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 I developed a deep passion for uh, uh, trying to be able to intellectually argue my Christian faith in barber shops, on the block, uh, and started to see a need for more of a cultural relevance to the scholarship that I was gathering. And so, I am here to be able to be a student uh, on this uh, on this event today, and to be able to connect with those who share the same passions that I do. That's it. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, Dr. Charlie Dates, tell, tell our audience just a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so my name is Charlie Dates. I serve as the senior pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. I'm a husband and a father. I got one wife. Very grateful for her. Her name is Kirstie. And uh, Charlie and Claire are our are, uh, children. The church I serve is a historic, um, predominantly African-American. It's growing in, in some other ethnicities, but predominantly African-American uh, Baptist church in Chicago. And uh, I, I used to, my, my bio says I'm the youngest pastor and a senior, and a senior pastor in the church's 100-some year history. Well, I'm getting older, so I think we're going to have to modify that. I, uh, that was my claim uh, to, with our membership. But I hold... Uh, by the grace of God, the senior pastor here, I also serve as an affiliate professor of church history and homiletics at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And uh, I teach at a varying and a few different spots. I get to travel a lot. 
to uh, preach and to teach. And uh, my, uh, I'm listening to Kirk talk about, you know, education. He's one of the smartest guys I know, by the way. So mm-hmm. I, I feel real shame. He's got more experience. He has forgotten more than I have learned. And uh, I've, I've come to appreciate that about him. Uh, I went on the side of the tracks uh, to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and then did an MDiv and a PhD uh, at Trinity Divinity School in Deerfield. And all of that to say, with the same closing line in one sense that, that Kirk gave us, all I have is in service to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And so um, that's it, man. That's that's a, a bit of who I am and, and what I do. Well, thank you again um, for, for joining me to talk about um, the, the making sense of suffering, starting with uh, your, your song, Help Me Believe, uh, Mr. Kirk Franklin, um, and making sense of suffering kind of as the subtitle. Um, when you think of suffering and you're trying to make sense of suffering personally, because we're in a time where many people are suffering, they're losing loved ones, they're grieving, they might be sick themselves, they have uncertainty because they've lost their jobs, and they just feel an intense amount of suffering at one time. How do you personally navigate that? Uh, started with you, uh, Kirk. Yeah, you know, my music has always been... Uh, the couch that I lay on uh, to 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 be able to get the therapy that I seek. Uh, not only do I also go to physical therapy uh, to see well, what what well is I go to a real therapist and I go um, now now during the pandemic I go once a week and I've been going to uh, therapy uh, as an African American man proudly for about the last thirty years last 30 years been with a lot of PTSD. I, I was adopted as a young man, did not know how much trauma that uh, adopted kids carry. I saw abandonment constantly in my life because the uh, continuous giving away of myself happened uh, throughout my life as a young man with, with my mother being in and out of my life but never grabbing hold to me. So I come to, uh, as I came to my Christian faith uh, with a history of stuff. <clears throat> a lot of emotional suffering, a lot of abandonment, a lot of, a lot of fear. I was raised uh, in environments where the love of God was not at the forefront. It was the wrath of God. And so uh, my, my abandonment, fatherless issues were just uh, exacerbated with bad theology, bad teaching. Um, and so the songs are not coming from a place of me writing from the promised land. These songs are all for me writing in the middle of the wilderness is, is, is God and his sovereign plan for me. Most of the songs that people have heard me do, they have been in the middle of my suffering. I, I have not lived most of my life on the mountaintop, even though God has blessed me financially, I've been able to experience some things, but emotionally and, 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 and psychologically, when this pandemic hit, uh, it was very weird. I was telling my therapist that it felt, it felt uh, dates like familiar territory. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and, and I don't know if, if, if you've got it, guys have ever had conversation with people that have suffered great tragedy in their life, you know, uh, uh, they become close friends with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I am very familiar with bitterness and rejection and heartbreak and sorrow. So to be able to be in it uh, uh, in a time like this, it has made me very passionate to want to be able to speak to people. So a song that helped me believe is also another catalyst that pushed me into wanting to uh, understand uh, deep, deeper theology. When I, when I wrote Help Me Believe, I was suffering very much with my Christian faith because my faith was being tested at, at, every, at every level. It was being tested psychologically, it was being tested in my emotions, it was being tested in my home, it was being tested in my children. And so um, the, the biggest thing that I can do to people in the middle of where they are right now is that your help is like a sonata before God. Just even, even just the word help uh, to a loving father. He's not, uh, he's not looking at his children going, now what do you mean when you say help? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a cry of help to a loving father, it's like, 
oh, that's my kid, you know? And so I think that, that, that the honesty is more important than being polished and clean. That is not a polished and clean Christianity that God is looking for out of you right now. It is, it is the, it is the beckoning of truth and your truth that is the constant that should push you into this place of saying, I don't know how, and I don't know what this is, and I need your help with this. And so that is the easiest way that I can try to frame this. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Dates? How, how do you navigate, navigate suffering? Well, let me, if, if I may, getting into that, say something about the benefit of African-American gospel music uh, to me and to all of us uh, during this time, one to which Kirk has attributed uh, to its discography. When you look at the spirituals that emerged from, and, and Black gospel music doesn't start with slavery. I want to say that. When you look at the spirituals that emerged from the uh, 1600s, 1700s, you find a kind of resilience in the heart of the believer to trust God in spite of their present circumstance. And so they would sing of a, of a great God who would deliver, who would bring help to them in their, their varying spaces. They would line hymns and chords, as it were, melodies of their own heart to express suffering. And I think music has done that for us. I, I think uh, even Kirk's music, a lot of that has done that for us. I remember in college uh, when his song, It's Over Now, The Storm Is Over, I Feel Like I Can Make It, The Storm Is Over Now, uh, came out. And, um, and so many pieces, something about the name Jesus, uh, music that has kind of played the heartstrings of our soul, as it were, to help us see a big God who's in charge of the whole world and who is able to guard and guide his children through it. I must say that that kind of music has been a refuge to me personally. Uh, I, have, I have enjoyed uh, playing some of the brightest of, of gospel music and of other Christian genres uh, of music during this, this period. And I think the collective suffering of, of our people uh, that which Kirk just described personally is something that we have the trauma of living in these yet to be United States. We have experienced collectively. And so when I look back, part of the beauty of being at the church where I am is it's a church of five generations. When I interview and talk to some of the, the 88, 89 year old men in our church, um, not to get political, but I am going to say this, they, they blessed me. One of the hardest days of my pastor was uh, the day after Mr. Trump got elected. And part of the reason was because of the sense of racial trauma, I think, that that brought. And I'm not arguing for a Republican or Democrat, but I, we had Bible class on that Wednesday. And right before Bible class started, I was down in the fellowship hall, and I guess I just looked the part, man. I was sad. And, and uh, Deacon James Taylor came in to that, that fellowship hall, and he said, oh, pastor, what's going on with you? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a rough day. He said, well, what do you mean it's a rough day? It's the sun is shining outside. You know? And I said, man, are you the only person in the world who didn't see what just happened? What, what, what are you talking about? So I said, man, listen. So I went on to, to explain to him the election. Of course, he knew. He knew. And here I am, this young 30-something pastor at the time, 88-year-old man. He said, oh, we're going to be all right. He said, I didn't really live through Roosevelt and uh, Nixon and Reagan, and he just started going on. He said, and if God brought us through all of that, this right here ain't no problem. And, and I tell you, it's the collective witness of our people having endured things that are enormous, a kind of cultural pandemic, and their testimony that they've been to the bottom, but they discovered that there's a rock at the bottom. That yeah. helps me. So that's almost the narrative of scripture. You know, we are reading the testimonies of people who've walked with God. And, and so I have found in music, in sacred music, in the testimony of the saints and in the scripture, enough medicine to lean fully on the grace of God. 
And I'm here to tell you, um, I, like the old uh, hair club for men commercial, I, I'm not only an advertiser, I'm also a client. I'm here to tell you it works. Uh, the, the the truth about God really does help us in moments like these. So Lisa, that's in part how I'm making. Yes, I think that collective piece is so so crucial. I remember being in seminary and really wrestling with the problem of evil and suffering, especially when it comes to innocent children. Yeah. And that really bothered me. And I went to my New Testament professor. I used to spend hours in his office talking to him about stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I'm like, if God is all loving, all powerful, I feel like he should do something. And I was expecting him to give me some great uh, philosophical answer. And he said, um, Lisa, you know, I struggle with that too. And he just left it there. And I was like, that's it. But it was so helpful to see someone with PhDs on the walls, um, New Testament scholar, to still be wrestling with this place of suffering that brought a level of comfort to me that it's not like you learn your way out of it or learn your way to a, a place where you're okay with it. It's going to be, it's a consistent um, struggle within the Christian, Christian faith. Um, Dr. Dates, as a, as a uh, historical theologian, as a professor, um, when you're thinking of, uh, I know you're not a systematic theologian, but I know you study <laughs> systematic theology. What are the ways that you've seen um, throughout church history that people navigate this problem, uh, this problem of suffering? Yeah, well, well, the first thing I think is that they don't deny it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when you look at the story of the of the church, they are not in a closet saying this isn't real. This is real. Caesar doesn't hate us. Caesar doesn't hate us. The church has walked through every pandemic thus far, including the most recent one we know of in 1918. And it, the church has actually come through those pandemics stronger. But we can start before that. In Acts chapter one, we are told that the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ says to the, the disciples gathered, hey, listen, you guys are gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You're gonna go everywhere. and I'm sure they were like, man, that's fantastic. Like, when are we getting a jet? You know, uh, when is Facebook going to be invented? How are we going to do all of this? What they did not know as they became very Jerusalem-centered is that it would be persecution that would drive them out of the empire into the uh, Roman Empire and beyond that uh, to communicate the gospel. So there's a sense in which this isn't sadistic. I want you to feel me. There's a sense in which adversity works for the church. Uh, mm -hmm. Paul says in Philippians 1, 12, that says, my brothers and sisters, I, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That word turned out means it, it, it fell forward, that, that in, God, in God's goodness, he didn't let what happened to me knock me back. He mm -hmm. knocked me forward. And, mm -hmm. and I think when you look at the church and the history of the church, all of these things kind of push us forward. Um, and, and so I'll speed it up to right now. There are likely more people, if, if our stream numbers and those that I'm talking to around the country are indicative of what's going on in other churches, there are more people hearing gospel proclamation on the weekends Yes, there were before this happened. And although I'm preaching to an empty church, I feel the power of God at work in my heart and reminding me that there are people whose ears are wide open because adversity reveals who we are. Difficulty shows us who we are. And that's the platform by which God uses to communicate the gospel. And so from the bubonic plague uh, to the Spanish flu, uh, to you name it, what, whatever pandemics we can come up with, the church actually emerged resilient and stronger. A lot of people are going to go out of business as a result of this pandemic. They may, they may even survive this year, but long term, they're going to go out. The church is never going out of business. Wow. We, we are going to still be standing when this is over. And that's because there is a rock underneath us who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect life. Who pleased his father, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and he waved them in front of us and said, I got all power over life and death. 
And when you got that kind of leader, when you're on, when what your enterprise is, is built on that, what can separate us from that kind of success? What can take us from that kind of resilience? Nothing. nothing. We're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. That, that's, in, that's encouraging. Anything you would like to add to that, uh, Kurt? I'm just enjoying the conversation. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, 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 that uh, even in, even in its simplest form for me, when the question is asked, uh, that I think the most beautiful thing that, that I've learned to ever say to people is, I don't know, is, 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 is um, those whys. Uh, is I can say, is I don't know. And I totally understand the difficulty of what you're asking and what you're seeing. And then I try to conclude with, but what I don't know doesn't cancel out what I do know. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. And so, um, um, and then what I do is I shine the light on those areas that I do know, is, uh, whether whether uh, it's personally or in light of scripture or in light of history, um, seeing God's fingerprint in history, seeing God's fingerprint in the history of me personally, their fingerprint, like like they said, uh, uh, his fingerprint throughout history of the church. Uh, or throughout history of the country. And, and so by the time I shed the light on what I don't, on what I do know, the things that I don't know, it's not that they become invisible. They just, they, they, they minimize it. One, one thing that my therapist said to me uh, years ago, he said, he said, do you know why they call us shrinks? Uh, why we got the nickname shrinks? And, and he said, he said, because when people come to us, they, they lay on the couch and the problems are so big. My wife is driving me crazy. Or I, you know, I got this problem. Blah, 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 blah. And, and the job of the therapist is to sh- shrink mm. what happened in their life to minimize it. Because in, in, in our own lives, we, we, we turn our problems into a 3D IMAX movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so his job is to shrink it. Well, that's what the same process is about shedding light on what I do know versus what I don't know is that I begin to shrink, not, not, not act like it doesn't exist, not, not disrespect the suffering that a person may go through, but we shed light on all the areas that we do uh, understand and experience. And I have to remember that in my own life because again, my own trauma that I bring to the table I was born with a mindset that the glass is half empty. And so it has been work for me to learn and see the glass half full, even with all the beautiful songs that God has uh, let me borrow. You know, um, you know they, they're still his songs. And so they're coming from his mindset more than they are mine. And so a lot of times I have to acquiesce uh, to this bigger, bigger uh, cosmic truth that I don't always sometimes subscribe to or sometimes don't always emotionally believe and I have to choose I have to choose truth but just because one one thing that I learned from 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 Dr. Evans is is that emotions have no intellect Mm. they connect themselves to whatever thought is taking place at that moment and I learned that years ago and I applied that just because uh your emotions can lead the narrative and when they do it is a it is a Pandora's box that you open, and so uh, your your faith has to supersede what you feel. Mm-hmm. That's helpful because, in a sense, I know we talked to, uh, titled this "Making Sense of Suffering." In a sense, there's almost this um, this kind of understanding that you can't make sense of it, even though you try to. And mm-hmm. even when making trying to make sense of it, Nona Jones, um, she works at Facebook. She was on the podcast some months ago and she talked about this, uh, her own suffering. And she said, you know, people always ask why, but really having the why won't fix the trauma or the hurt. Mm-hmm. Knowing what ha- knowing why it happened doesn't necessarily make you whole. Um, and I thought that was really powerful because we live in a space and a culture, and I think it's more Western that we're always asking why. Why is God allowing suffering? If He's all powerful, all knowing, all good, um, all loving, why does He allow suffering? Why is the age old problem of evil? Um, as Christians navigating theodicy, trying to understand, and we we seek out ways in which to understand some, I think, are 
um, more problematic than others. Some will say, well, we have free will. So as a consequence of free will, um, uh, evil and suffering exists in the world. Others will say God kind of is causing this and working it all out for our good. So it's not that our free will is, is so limited. It's not just on free will. It's God's uh, providence. And others will say God doesn't know. Um, what are some ways that you've seen the problem of suffering, uh, Dr. Dates? mishandled um where people try to give answers that aren't helpful and aren't necessarily biblical yeah i think uh one of the ways that i see the problem of evil um mishandled is what you just called i i would describe it as open theism there's a sense in which god is not who we understand him to be as revealed in scripture and so he's figuring this thing out as we go along um who, by the way, <laughs> who wants to serve a God who's figuring things out yeah. and go along? Uh, <laughs> that just, it doesn't like even make sense to me. Um, it's almost like the person who used to worship the little God that you could sit on top of your shelf and uh, until it fell over. And then they kept realizing they had to keep picking the God back up, putting it back up. And, and then they, they came to realize, I don't need a God that I got to keep picking up. I need a God who who can pick me up. That's that's one of the mishandlings of it. It is to say that God is somehow figuring things out as we go along. Then there is the age-old quest of, you know, God is omnipotent, but he's not omnibenevolent. He has all power, but he's not all loving. Because surely in order for him to be God, he's got to be all loving. I mean, he's got to have all power, but he doesn't care. Because if he cared, these things wouldn't be happen happening. And then the inverse comes and they say, well, you know, no, God is loving. He is caring. He is all of that, but he must not be omnipotent. And, and so we find ourselves in a place where we got a God who cares, but he's powerless to actually affect the kind of change. I think the scriptures reject all of that. I think the scriptures paint for us a picture of a God who is all knowing, all wise, who lives outside of time and space. And so he's not affected per se by time and space but he sees all of the events of life as happening at once. And yet he is still in control. And the challenge of that, if, if I make, make one insight, I think into the argument is that we're finite creatures. So we do not fully comprehend how God can be all that he is and still let things play out the way that they are. But the reason we say that is because we only see up to the right now. We do not see the not yet. And, and since God lives outside of time and space, our when we get to the right now, God is in the not yet. And when we get to the not yet, God is in the no longer. He cannot be confined by time and space in that regard. So if we knew everything that God knows, we would let things happen the way that they are happening. Mm. If when you pray, you actually believe that God is all powerful and all good, then you would answer your own prayers the same way that God answers your prayers. God is so much God that, that he has figured out every possible contingency. So in a world that is affected by evil and suffering, he knows how to drive human history to land it at the port of his glory. And, and that's the view of God I think we get from the scriptures. We, we get a view of God who can say to Job, Job, who made the hippopotamus, man? How did it get its strength? Who laid the foundations of the earth? And when you can give me those answers, then we can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Mm -hmm. but, but Job written even centuries ago, uh, scholars and scientists are still trying to figure out answers to like how the hippopotamus got its strength, how the earth is is the way that it is. Our understanding is progressive. It, it is coming along. It's it's processing. We can't handle those heavyweight questions. And and nobody in their right mind is going to sit on a podcast like this and tell you they got answers for all of these. We don't. But, but we do know. So when Kirk says, I don't let what I don't know disturb what I do know, we do know that God really does cause all things to work together for our good. That doesn't mean 
that God causes all things to happen. Yeah. It means that God causes them to work together. So he can take uh, a decision in the Garden of Eden that displeased him and use it as a way to introduce the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He, he can take a plague in 1918, the Spanish flu, and, and watch it decimate so many people. But, but the church, our pastor, was born in 1918. And so 100 years later, the people who started this as a prayer meeting had no idea that we'd be shining the light of the gospel in this way in Chicago and around the world. Because you just don't know what God knows yeah. while suffering is happening. And, and so let's address sin, though, because I think that's important. Lisa, you got some people who can watch this and they're going to say, oh, you know, uh, uh, Charlie's an evangelical who believes in sin. By the way, Charlie is a gospel believer. I got a high view of scripture. <laughs> you can call me whatever you want to call me. And then they go, oh, well, you know, they, they believe this, that, and the other. Man, listen, if you don't believe in sin, that's the clearest evidence that sin has its hold on you. Mm. Sin is an old word. It's a word people don't like. In fact, a lot of people only like to relegate sin to corporate systemic social issues, and it is there. But the reason sin is in the corporate social systemic levels is because it's in the individual first. Mm-hmm. We are affected by sin, and then we become in charge of systems, and we create systems, and we uh, elongate the impact of systems, and we run governments, and we hurt people. The, the world is messed up not because God is messed up. The world is messed up because we messed up. And part of the reason we messed up is because our first parents decided to disobey God. And so sin enters the world. And sin is not just the bad things we do. Sin is the disease that we are born with. It it creates a disposition that is alien toward God and that is that is defiant toward God. It affects all of who we are. And so God, in his loving kindness, um, didn't just end the world. He didn't just end the world. He could have. Uh, but but in his goodness and his kindness, he lets us still in dominion, that is humanity, operate in the earth. But because he's so marvelous and he's so good, he superintends what we do so that he can work in our decisions to guide human history in the direction he wants it to go. So although I cannot say, and and I would not be so bold as to say this pandemic was arranged by God. I don't know. I'm not God. I can say that it was allowed by God. And whatever God allows or arranges, in that he also accompanies his children. You you hear Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, don't don't let this don't let this happen. There, there's any other way we could do this, Father, let's do it a different way. You hear Jesus on the cross saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus could ask why, you and I can too. Yes. Uh, if, if he could feel that pain and be totally human in that moment, you and I can as well. And yet he, he's, he prays that prayer in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And if Jesus could pray that the will of his father be done, he, if he could see the good in that, then surely you and I can too. And so some people will say, well, that's triumphalism. Say what you want. But but this is what the Bible says, that he was obedient even to the point of death. So that when he was raised, he was given a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There is a glory that outweighs our suffering and suffering that is caused in general by sin. Not necessarily specific, but so let me say this too, and then I'm done, Lisa. When when Adam and Eve made the decision, don't be, don't be done. Don't be done. <laughs> when Adam and Eve made the decision to sin, sin not only affected human beings, it affected nature. So it got into the trees. Yeah, I, I like to think that roses did not have thorns on them, but the violence of sin made the rose fight itself mm-hmm. till it started to elbow out thorns. Mm-hmm. Sin so encroached upon creation that the wolf got angry at the lamb mm-hmm. and that the willow who had its hands up in the air fell over and slumped down. 
because sin came into the world. The nice peaceful ocean started to roar and foam. And I think I'm on good exegetical grounds because in Romans 8, Paul says that all of creation mm, groans. It, it feels the pressure of the pain. It's waiting for its release. Even when the birds are flying in the air, they're waiting for the day that the sons and daughters of God will be revealed when this suffering is over. And even right now, this virus is creation fighting itself. Mm. Uh, it's, it's our systems trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And, and yet Paul says on the front side and then the back side of that in Romans 18, for I reckon, I consider when I calculate all that's going on, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Listen, Paul says they don't even belong in the same sentence. What, what we face now as a result of sin doesn't even belong in the same sentence as what God is bringing as a result of salvation. Yeah, man. You didn't invite me to preach, but I felt my help. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you want to say anything to that? Um, as I was, as I was making notes, man, I was making, <laughs> because this guy is so brilliant. I'm such a fan. It's, oh, you know, uh, uh, even on the micro level, let me just say, even on the micro level, is that I would say, if if there's anything to add, uh, uh, he says something so eloquently about sin, and and I and I think it's very interesting that uh, that that not only culture but also liberal Christians want to minimize the impact or the relevance or the reality of of of, of sin. That's that's very unique. That 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 we want to pretty up something that was so painful, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, like, like, like some mainline Christians want to make Calvary where Jesus just kind of got up there and just kind of fell asleep, you know, <laughs> you know, but, you know, but it was traumatic. It, it was, it was violent. It was, it was, it was wicked. Uh, the, the persecution of God in the flesh. And, and I think, Man, just 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 a reminder that dates did about how it's so true. You don't hear the the term sin anymore. You know that 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 once again it only comes when uh, in other contexts that are comfortable, especially for certain communities. But but I would even ask a person who who even disagrees with what dates was saying, even even on the practical level. Think about your thoughts. Just think about the thoughts that you have as a human being, you know, and 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 this would be to anyone, you know, just think about the dreams that you may dream. Think about the temptations that cross your mind. Think about all of the things that are not good thoughts that have been in your mind before. That's sin. That's sin. That 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 is the manifestation of the fact that we are broken people. We are broken. We are broken people that we came in the box damaged. And, and, and it is very shocking to me with limited information and, and limited education that I have that that is so rejected. What I, what I can tell you is that what does give me hope, um, even as I continue to make you know, great new friends like you two, is that I used to wonder all the time dates about now that I started getting uh, informed and, and 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 aware of all of the information that's there uh, on on the academic level to undergird my Christian faith to to be able to give it so much more content is that I used to wonder, man, well, why do so many people still not believe? Well, why do they still not believe in these things with all the information that is now available, even you know, at the level that I was getting it, and not not on the level of 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 uh, on the level of academia, right? And so when this when this pandemic hit and you had all of these scientists, because we know for the last, what what would you guys say, the last 50, 100 years, you know, the the new God within Western culture has been science. You know, you know everybody honors and worships science, science and technology. And so when, when the pandemic hit 
and all the scientists were giving all of the data and saying that's going to do this it's dangerous it's more dangerous than the flu and they were saying how many people are going to die and they were saying that it that 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 you can be infected this way and that way but yet and still we saw people still walking close together hugging each other you know still going to the beaches still and i'm thinking now science is their new god and they're not even responding to their god mm. If they're not going to respond to their God that they've been worshiping yeah. for the last 1,500 years, they're not going to easily respond to my God. And that gave me a different perspective. Like, they're not even responding to the science God. The science God is saying, don't touch people, stay away from people, don't sneeze on people, don't burp on people, don't pass gas on people, <laughs> whatever you want to do. <laughs> they're not even responding to their God. Yeah. How in the world do you think they're going to respond to yours? And so that gave me a hope of understanding, oh, well, the problem isn't science or my God. The problem is sin. Yeah, yeah. Sin. And, the, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, the original sin was pride. Yeah. And so it's the pride of the human fragile space, the broken place of human beings. And so that gives me hope to... Uh, to undergird what, what they were saying about sin is a real thing. And we're even seeing it now, even in the midst of all the natural data and science that is available to people. So, so can I say this too, in mm -hmm. response uh, to Mr. Franklin, they, even we, I would say, those of us who, who have made other gods have never honored our own gods. Mm. They have never honored their own. Um, George Bernard Shaw said, wisely quipped once, that God made us in his image and we return the favor. Mm. Um, we have made of God what we want God to be. That's part of the problem with the question of suffering, too. I got to write that down. Keep going. It is, it is that uh, when God doesn't do what we want God to do, then he's no longer God. And so we trade that version of God for our own version of God, our own made-up version of God. Human beings have been doing that since the beginning. I mean, you see that even when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, when they are not satisfied with God flexing his prerogative, then they will say, no, we'll make for ourselves our own God. And yeah. the problem with the goodness of God with our, with our concept of the goodness of God is that we determine what's good. And, and so when God works outside of that framework, he's no longer good or that ain't God. Yeah. And, and what I need to say is if he's not God enough to disagree with you, then he ain't God. Yeah. If, if he's not God enough to say what it is and it is what it is, but you get to retort and make it what you want to be, then you're God. But because the human heart, even from the Garden of Eden, has never been satisfied until it's been able to get God to do what it wants God to do. And even when it gets what it wants, it still ain't happy. So mm. we can't turn a fist to God and say, no, this is what's right. This is what's not. And so I, I would say, be it science, be it money, no, none of these things will we obey until we see. Watch this. Until we see that God loves us so much that in his care and his goodness, he came to reveal himself to us. Mm. He, he came to us. We didn't go to him. Yes. Um, you look at, at NASA, right? And all of this stuff. I, I'm, I'm not like, I don't know a whole lot about nothing space related, but I do know that <laughs> I can't go into space in these clothes. Um, I got to put on something called a space suit. There's a, <laughs> there's something about outer space where the way I'm made, it doesn't allow me to breathe and live up there. So we got to create something to help me get into that sphere. Yeah. Human beings can never just ascend into the place of God. We aren't built or fit to survive at that altitude yeah. where wherever he is, we cannot just walk our own way in it. So one thing science has taught us is, you got to change your own environment in order to get into new spaces. Mm. The beauty about Christianity is that 
since we couldn't get to God, we could not invent a way to get to He became one of us. Yeah. And and he he put on flesh. That's what the New Testament says. He put on an earth suit and he came down and he felt everything we feel. Yes. All that we perceive. And he conquered everything we could not conquer until the last enemy to be defeated is death. And he stood on that, too. And then he says, now I have made a path for you to get to where I am. That's the goodness of God. The goodness of God is not just me getting rich during a pandemic and investing money in the, into the right medical profile. The goodness of God is, is not just uh, this thing being done. We all want it to be done. Lord knows I want it to be done. But the goodness of God is God took care of my biggest problem. Yes, he sir. handled my greatest pain. Yes. My, my greatest, the greatest pandemic in the world is that sin keeps me from God. Mm-hmm. And he fixed that. So even if death comes, which it has hit our own congregation. Even if death comes, there is a beauty in being able to see him face to face on the backside of suffering. All right. That's awesome. And I I love that you talked about the suffering of of Christ, because I believe that a suffering savior can um, can comfort suffering people. And I think. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, a, a suffering savior can conquer. I mean, not conquer, can comfort suffering people. And I think that's so important that God didn't allow something um for in our lives that he didn't allow for his own son. Mm, mm, and so I think that's important to remember that he's in this with us. Mm. He is well acquainted with our griefs. He's he was with us, God with us, an incarnational savior we have. And I think that's helpful as we navigate um, this time of suffering and pandemic that he's with us, that he's never left us. Um, We can leave him and sin breaks that fellowship, but he's always there with open arms to receive us back to him. Um, I know time is well spent. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I would love to hear you all's final thoughts um, on on this idea of making sense of, of suffering. I'll start with you, Kirk. Man, it's, I don't know what I can contribute that 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 hasn't already been said so well. Um, it has inspired me. This even 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 being a part of this today has just um, once once again it's just it's just elevated my my hope and my belief in that truth will win in the end. And 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 I, and I. And I think that that even again, on, in practical terms, uh, human beings, we've always seen and we've always celebrated what different pain produces in the natural world. We see it in the gym. We see it going to college. We see it uh, losing weight. We, 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 have, we have seen what our bodies will do when we take it through a certain amount of trauma. Uh, we and we celebrate it, and 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 we're willing to go through it because we don't lose focus of what the results will be. And I want people to know that the most strongest, greatest people that you see that you may admire, these are people that have walked through the deepest waters. Mm-hmm. You're not going to celebrate somebody that has not carried many, 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 many lows away. But one. One song that people have always celebrated of mine over the last 15 years, the majority of people that walk up to me, they love a song I wrote called Imagine Me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and I need for people to know that I almost want to hate you when you say that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's because this song that you think is so beautiful is, is the end result of the ugliest, darkest, most horrible moments my life. I mean, it is written from a place of the greatest vulnerability and insecurity. Imagine me loving what I see when the mirror looks at me. Can you imagine me? I'm not saying that with a smile on my face. I'm saying that as a 911 call of depression and hating myself and ugliness that I saw. And so in the ugliness, it was a, a moment of, man, what if it's like the what if. And so uh, do not minimize your process as well. Everything that you, and, and 
are inspired by, all the people you are inspired by, these are the things that, that if you saw them in the process of it being made, they would hate you for saying that they were beautiful. They would, they would, they would spit on you if you would say to them, thank you. Thank you for going through this moment. So I'm saying to people that are watching that are in the midst of their suffering, the midst of your suffering, somebody is going to thank you that you didn't quit while you were in it. Wow. Somebody's going to say, man, I appreciate that you didn't blow your brains out. I appreciate you for not leaving my mama. I appreciate you for fighting to stop drinking. Denzel Washington said something to me that was really profound uh, when uh, he was going through trying to overcome this strong battle of, of, of uh, drinking. And uh, uh, his kids said that uh, they were disappointed in him because he could get clean when it was time for a movie. But he couldn't get clean when he wasn't on set when it was time to be a daddy. And and, and one of his kids said, and the thing that got him to start being clean is one of his dads said, one of his kids said, you give Hollywood what you won't give us. Uh, uh. So, and so he said for them, for, for him, it was like, oh no, oh no. So so the suffering that he needed to go through to get clean for his kids was what made his kid appreciate him even deeper. I'm telling you, I have never grown when I've won a Grammy, mm. but I've grown when I've lost them. <laughs> oh, Kirk. Tom Kirk Franklin. <laughs> Whoa. So, I never want to win a Grammy, so I guess I'm going. Uh, Lisa, before I answer this, can I say thank you to Kirk for being so vulnerable and open uh, with us today? I, uh, those are things that, you know, we don't know when we're rocking out to whatever Kirk Franklin song gets played. A lot of them get played in our home. Uh, I would say this. When I went to buy Kirstie's engagement ring, uh, I long story short, but we ended up ha- I ended up having the ring made. She knew nothing about it. So I went to this jeweler in Chicago, and uh, I didn't know how rings were made. I just knew I wanted a platinum ring with a big di- the biggest diamond I could afford. Now, mind you, I couldn't afford anything, but I just <laughs> wanted just in my mind. And so Suzanne Bells, uh, our jeweler, she, we were in this little, like, little factory that Ethan Lord's store was being built out at the time. And she said, uh, hey, listen, I want to take you to see some diamonds. I want you to be able to choose one. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. We get in the room, and I'm at the door. She closes the door behind me, and she, she says, sit down. And she turns the light off in the room. And I go, whoa, Suzanne, like, you know, I know we cool, but like, we ain't, that, that ain't wrong thing anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and she says, no, 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 no. She reaches in a drawer, she pulls out this black velvet and she turns on a little lamp on her desk and she puts the pocket or the pouch of velvet on the table. She hands me these tweezer-like things and she says, be very careful. And on this black uh, pad, uh, she opens the velvet pouch and she drops them all there. It's like the stars twinkled in front of me. And she said, now pick one up and I'm going to show you what to look for. So I picked it up. She had this little thing on her head, a little light shining down. And she she started to have me turn the diamond. Help me, Holy Ghost. And yeah. she, said, uh, she said, you're looking for, and she went on to describe the cut and the clarity, but she said there there are some other aspects of brilliance that in the sunlight you never see in this diamond. Mm. She she said, the room has to go dark. She didn't even know she was preaching. The room Mm -hmm. has to go dark. The Mm -hmm. backdrop has to be black. And then we shine the light on it. And that's when you can see. And and when I tell you that's how we discover the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Kirk has given his own life stories and illustration. You don't discover it in the sunlight, in in, on the beach. You, no. you discover it when life gets dark and God then shines a light. And if I had to pick, there are many, but if I had to pick a Bible character, it would be Joseph who experienced the greatest injustice in the early part of scripture there. Sold by his brothers, lied on by his employer's wife, 
uh, forgotten about by the baker and the butler. And all of these rungs just keep seeming to drop lower. You know, uh, his life just keeps dropping lower. But what feels like a drop lower is actually setting him up to become the prince of Egypt. Wow. And a lot of people shout when Joseph becomes a prince of Egypt, but I don't think that's the shouting part of Joseph's narrative. The, the shouting part isn't even Joseph learning to forgive his brothers. That's really important, but that's not the best part. The best part of Joseph's story is that he's able to lead Egypt in a time of crisis to preserve enough grain on the backside of his trouble so that one of his brothers get to live. Wow. And that brother is Judah. It's, it's that God lets Joseph go through all of this so that many people are kept alive, but of the many, one particular named Judah. And from Judah comes Perez. And from Perez comes over. You just go down the list of Matthew chapter one until you get to another Joseph. Mm. Marries a, or is betrothed to a girl named Mary. And they end up becoming the parents, as it were, of Jesus Christ. Mm. I didn't see in Genesis 37, when Joseph gets sold, that Matthew chapter one was in God's mind. All I want to suggest to you and I is how I'm making sense of it. I may not see Matthew chapter one. I feel like Dr. King. I may not get there with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I want you to know that every drop in the rung is actually calculated in the providence of God as a step closer yeah. to him fulfilling his wonderful plan in your life and in the lives of many people. And so the only thing worse than a bad vaccine is a bad virus, rather, is a bad vaccine. Yeah. Now, the only thing worse than where we are now would be to hurt many people, would be to rush out of this. Yeah, yeah. But there's something here about letting God work out what we're in until we can see the good. I admit it's hard to see the good. Yes. 55-year-old firefighter in our congregation who, who died almost in a few days, just like that, left wow. here, his wife and his daughter and his son. It's hard to see the good of people on ventilators in our church, of another woman passing away. It's, it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. But we do not look at the goodness of God simply by looking forward. We look back to see how it makes sense. Yes. In that regard, God then shines his light. So Lisa, thank you yeah. for, for letting us in. Maybe, maybe out of this, I've said this to Kirk, to Mr. Franklin, maybe out of this will come the best song that we've not heard from his pen. And we've heard a lot, but, but maybe out of this collective suffering will, will come something grander than a mighty fortress. Hey, 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 man. Thank you. Thank you both for being on here. I think this was a wonderful conversation to help people navigate this place of suffering and struggle. Um, I think you both added a very unique perspective that was very helpful and comprehensive for the listener. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a joy. Um, thank you all for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast remember here at the Jew through project we're helping you know what you believe and why you could get our curriculum through eyes of color at jew3project.org or you could become a monthly partner every gift helps equip at jew3project.org backslash donate we're so thankful for you and we hope you enjoyed this episode until next time grace and peace thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jew3 project podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode you can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jew3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. 
So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.